Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. So we'll refrain. Uh, if you know, if you've been with us at Hope, we are right in the middle of a sermon series, and we are right in the middle of the Bible with that sermon series. And right in the middle of the scriptures is a six-book collection of poetry, half of which are wisdom books and the other half of which are song books. And we've looked at the wisdom books, and we've looked at two out of the three of the song books, which leads for us today, Lamentations. So a music website, like the kind that I would like to look at, graphed all of the British band Radiohead, all of their albums according to sadness. <laughs> if you didn't know it, all of their music and all of their albums are sad. They're carefully crafted, but they are very sad. Well, like Radiohead, Lamentations is carefully crafted, but sad. But unlike Radiohead, right, Lamentations is God's word. It was really a written response to the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C., which was an unthinkable moment in their history. It's when Babylon tramples on God's people, God's temple, and God's really seemingly his testimony to the whole world. And that's why Lamentations, which is a poetic response that that disaster is so sad. It is so sad. And it forces a question to all of us that we're going to wrestle with very briefly tonight. Why is something so sad in God's Word? But before we answer this, let's just pray. Lord, would the words of my mouth, would the meditation of all of our hearts this evening be pleasing and acceptable to you? You are a rock. You are a redeemer. And by your spirit, would we see Jesus in lamentations, the suffering servant. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, so a few weeks ago, I heard historian from Australia, John Dixon, read off the most popular worship songs of the 90s. The, like the top 10 most sung worship songs of the 90s in, in the church. And all of them, I kid you not, all of them were very, very happy. They were all very happy songs. And this is just one, yeah, this is just one indicator, I think of many actually, that the church is allergic to lament. The church, in a way, is not safe, I think, for sadness. It's not a safe space for expression of sadness and of grief. But God, as we just saw, put in a story a masterpiece of poetic lament. In our, our, our English Bibles, if you have it or if you want to pull it up on your phone, the title of this book in our English Bibles is Lamentations. But if you are reading this in Hebrew, the title of it in Hebrew is one Hebrew word, and it's this, How. How. As in, how in the, right? That's what the title of this book is. 
It's how. Now, it's hard to imagine for me a contemporary worship song sung in a church with that title. Or with this line, which I'm quoting from chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground. But God has us in His Word, and He wants it in His worship services, we would think. And this evening, I want to see why that's a good thing. Why that's a good thing. Lamentations, I think, gives us two gifts. It gives us the gift of needed permission and the gift of deepened confession. Lamentations gives us needed permission. Needed permission for what? Needed permission to express grief. Grief grief for anything. Grief for our sin. Grief for the ways other people's sins have hurt us. Grief for how broken the world is because of sin. But sadly, I think the church is the most unsafe place in the world to express grief. And that's a shame because Lamentations is right in the heart of God's Word. And it gives us a needed permission to grieve. And I think grief three very difficult moments in our lives. And the first is this, when God seems harsh. There's a tension in Lamentations between two realities. Number one, tidy theology. And number two, on the other hand, messy experience. So on the one hand, the poet of Lamentations... Their theology is tidy. It's very tidy. He admits that the Lord is in the right with this destruction of Jerusalem. Israel was, in other words, guilty. Gavel is down. Israel was guilty of heinous social injustice and spiritual sin. And yet, on the other hand, the poet's experience of that, of God's sovereign judgment, was very, it is very messy on the pages of Lamentations. So God's sovereignty, His control over everything, does a couple things. It seems to offer ultimate comfort, because nothing is chaos, and that can bring us comfort in the midst of chaos. But it can, for many of us, generate a spiritual crisis. Amen? It can generate a spiritual crisis because we can ask this question, how does that square with His goodness? So chapter 1, verse 18, summarizes this tension. The Lord is in the right, okay? It's a confession of sin. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against His word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. That's the tension. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Later, 2.11, the poet is weeping and, as you heard, vomiting even. Because of what he sees on the streets. And I'm quoting, infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. It's too much. So that in 2, chapter 2, verse 20, we read a protest. Oh Lord, I'm quoting, think about this. The poet is saying to the Lord in his prayer, Oh Lord, think about this. Should you treat your own people this way? Should mothers eat their own children? Those that they once bounced on their knees. That's in Lamentations because they are experiencing siege warfare. You don't know what that is? Google it. But what he's ex- explaining and describing here is not hyperbole. And so he looks at it, he sees it, and he's like, what on earth? 
as the title of Lamentations puts it, how? How? How does this square with whom I know you to be? If you thought that this kind of God talk was off limits, God seems to think differently in Lamentations. This is not the talk, by the way, of a scoffer. This is the holy wrestling of a saint whose eyes are wide open to the brokenness, theirs and others. And Lamentations creates space for that. It is burdensome to have your eyes wide open to the groaning that sin creates. And Lamentations gives you space for that. Needed permission. Also for this, for when God seems silent, Commentators of Lamentations point out that God doesn't show up or speak up in Lamentations. He's quoted once of how He spoke in the past. But unlike the book of Job, God doesn't show up and speak up. It's a really a silent book when it comes to God's voice. But Christopher Wright, a scholar who I read on this book and he helped me out so much, he helped me see the significance of God's silence in Lamentations. It's not cruel, but it's actually... Caring, hang with me, it's caring of God to speak silence in His Word. It's a paradox, right? God speaks in His Word, this is His Word, a book of divine silence. By putting a wordless book in His Word, God is, I think, validating those moments in your grief when God seems silent. And so it's a needed permission for that. And then finally, it's a needed permission for when all of our theology or all of our God talk seems to and experience fall short. We're not saying it is falling short. It's true. But when in our experience of it, it seems to fall short. I think Lamentations goes there. Sometimes our good theology can't stop our tears of grief or our tears of anger. And in Lamentations, God seems to say, I know. I know. So, think of this. Lamentations has five chapters. If you have it open, you can see it. It's just a quick little book of five poems. Five chapters. And that means that chapter three is right in the middle of two flanking poems. And because chapter 3 has 66 verses in it, the very middle of the middle is verse 33. That's even math I can do. The center of 66 is 33. And if you go to the very center of the center of this poetic masterpiece of lament, of raw lament, what do you read? Well, I'll start in verse 31. It says this, For the Lord will not cast off forever... But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart. This is the center of the center of Lamentations. And I'll read it again. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. This is an important statement about God. It helps to hear God say, 
My anger at sin is not from my heart. And so many theologians have put it this way. His anger at sin is alien. It's alien. Just like an alien from outer space. It's alien to him. It's true of him, but it's alien. It's an outflow of his perfect love. It's an outflow of his perfect love for all that he has lovingly made. God did not make sin. Sin isn't really even a thing. Did you know that? It's not even really a thing. It bends good things that God made. That's what sin is. It's a heart bending of good things. It's an intruder, some have put it. And so God has to deal with this intruder. But it's not like he... Re- this, is what, this is what the center of Lamentation says to us. It's not like God really, 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 really wants to. Like He longs to do it. No, no, no. It says in verse 33, He does not afflict from His heart. In the words of the Anglican Lenten prayer, Almighty and everlasting God, You hate nothing You have made. Amen? You hate nothing you have made. And it goes on. And you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. This is a theology of hope right in the middle of profound lament about sin. Right smack in the middle of lament, we have this affirmation that God is a God of mercy, abounding in steadfast love. And no matter what they see, in the middle of it all, this poet can affirm that. It's like, it's like the kite string that holds the kite from flying away in crazy winds. Last Sunday it was crazy windy, and we went and we tried to fly a not-so-sturdy kite. And another couple came, and they flew a very sturdy kite, okay? And what you can notice about kite flying is that the kite string is thin, but it's very strong. And it holds the thing from flying away. And that's how I see the very center of this book. A thin but strong cord. And it's double-corded because look at 20, or listen to 22 through 24 before it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And you've heard this one before. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Okay? That is the string at the center of the kite in the middle of the hurricane force wind. It anchors everything down. And it's all true. Blessedly true. Life-savingly true. We need this theology. But as Chris Wright points out, the poem doesn't turn a corner from here. We were, if we were writing this poem, we would sort of hit that point, and then everything else would be happy afterwards, wouldn't it? That's not what we see in Lamentations. Right after that, the thing turns back down into raw lament, and you can just look and see what's going on. And poetically, even, in the form of the poet himself, the singer starts to wear out. What do I mean? Well, this lament is a carefully crafted poem. Did you know that every single line of this poem starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet? 
all that fat, dollar, hey, it goes on down, like A through Z. It's a carefully crafted lament. And you see that with each verse in chapter 1, you see three lines, and then chapter 2, three lines, and then chapter 3, three lines. And what's happening in chapter 3 is really profound because the poet starts to use the letter Aleph, the first, like the A of the Hebrew alphabet, three times. A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 on down. It hits that core string of the kite we talked about, and then what happens? Chapter 4, it starts to wear out. Not three lines, but two. Chapter 5, do you notice? Not two lines, but one. And guess what? The acrostic, the alphabet, done. Done. The very shape of Lamentations, I think, charts a realistic life of suffering. We start strong. We frame our suffering beautifully, alphabetically. We express strong faith and hope, but then we wear out. My suffering friends, Lamentations is spacious for you. It knows you because God knows you. It's His Word. So I told you, many of you, I told you about the time I traveled to Boston with my in-laws. You remember the story? I traveled to Boston with my in-laws. My father-in-law loves baseball. And so for his birthday, all the men in his family surprised him with a, like, with a one-day trip to Fenway, which is where the Red Sox play baseball. And we got tickets to see them play their longtime rivals, the New York Yankees. And my brother-in-law got us all hats for the big game. They all got Red Sox hats. But I got a Yankees hat. And my brother-in-law claims that they were out of my size, which I'm calling shenanigans now. I believe them at the time. And now I'm calling shenanigans. Well, I decided to wear that hat anyway, because I had no dog in that fight. And I discovered very quickly that I was welcome in Boston. Very friendly place. But me with that hat on was not welcome in Boston. Not at all. I got yelled at from cars driving because of that hat. And that's how I feel like many churches treat people who voice grief and sadness within these walls. We are glad you are here, but don't put that hat on. In the moment the church, when that happens on, there is no space. But Lamentations is, a, I believe, a rebuke to such a place. And I want to talk briefly about the second thing Lamentations tells us. And it's this. Lamentations gives us a gift of deepened confession. So needed, needed permission, but also deepened confession. And that confession goes in two directions. Sin and faith. Our confession of sin and our confession of faith. And we'll talk about our confession of sin first, which is very appropriate because this is the first Sunday of Lent. Really it's a season as we lead up to Easter where we own and return to the Lord. We own our sin and return to the Lord. And so we see in Lamentations a deepening of that confession. So what makes lament unique is that it's brutally honest about hard things. 
And as we saw in Job, oftentimes lament takes on the form of, I didn't, like this is undeserved suffering. What makes lamentation super unique is that there is confession of sin all throughout the thing. This isn't Job who was righteous. This is sinful Israel who failed to be a light to the nations for generations and generations who was guilty by their own admission and by their prophets of unremitting social and spiritual sin and evil. And so this lament is laced with dead, honest confession of sin. One example in chapter 1, verse 18. The Lord is in the right. I have rebelled against His word. And that repeats over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And this shows us that confession of sin and lament of its consequences can happen at the same time. Deep confession can include and must include lament. Now I want to say this real quick. That we are not allowed to take lamentations. And the suffering of Babylon, of, of Babylon destroying the temple, and map that onto our suffering. Job taught us this. If you were with us with Job, you know that Job taught us this. Jesus does as well. We are not allowed to say your suffering or this national or natural disaster happened in a way that Lamentations disaster happened. There were explicit warnings recorded in God's Word for years and years from the prophets. And then it happened. What the prophets promised would happen, happened. And that's what this is. But... Even so, Lamentations teaches us how to confess deeply. Deep confession does not hide sin. It doesn't spin sin. We own it. We sing with the welcome wagon. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We're all not okay together. That is like a a shockingly, strangely liberating line to sing. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We are all not okay together. In that, we're admitting that the problem is deep. Sin is no small thing. And so deep confession does not just say, oops, sorry Lord, but it says, God, God, I am not okay. And I rend my heart, as Joel puts it. And I need you to rescue me. I need you to return me to yourself. This is like step one of AA territory, friends. Which says this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. That our lives had become unmanageable. That is ownership of our inability in the messes that we make. Or as 521 puts it, restore to us yourself. Restore us to yourself, O Lord that we may be restored. Now, did you catch that? This prayer at the very end of Lamentations admits that we cannot restore ourselves. That the very act of restoration must come from the Lord Himself. God, You must restore me from this sin or nothing else. No one else will. 
That's the gift of deep confession of sin. And finally, deep confession of faith. This is the deep confession of faith. It's deepened. This, I think Lamentations deepens our confession of faith. It's deepened, number one, by discipline. What I mean is this. Deep confession, if you take a look at chapter 3, verse 21. The poet says, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down. Is bowed down. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Deep confession of faith in the midst of lament is a purposeful and disciplined calling to mind. In other words, it does not come naturally, friends. Confessing in the hope of God's steadfast love is discipline. I mean, if the structure of the poem tells us anything, commentators point out, the structure of Lamentations itself, it's a carefully crafted poem. It's recited every year. To this day, did you know, Jewish men and women recite all of Lamentations once a year, not only in remembrance of the fall of Jerusalem, but of the fall of the temple in 70 AD, and the pogroms, and even the Holocaust. It's a disciplined act of trust. As disciplined, if you've ever composed a song or a poem or built something as an engineer, that is the discipline of calling to mind the steadfastness of the Lord. It's not natural, especially when there's a hurricane around you. It's also a confession of faith that is deepened by honesty. So if you take a look at 3, verse 18, So I say, my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. That is honesty. It's saying my hope is like it's dead. My hope is dead. And yet, in the same breath, we have verse 33. In verse 24, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in Him. And you want to say, which is it? Has your hope died? Or is your hope in Him? And Lamentations wants to say to you, yes! Yes! It's like the confession of the boy's father in the Gospel of Mark. I believe. Help my unbelief. That is... That is deep confession of faith right there. Because it's honest and hopeful. It's honest and hopeful. It's Lamentations is ultimately a hopeful book. But getting back into poetry, I'm, I was an English major, sorry. Most Hebrew poetry is balanced. Three meters here, three meters here. Three accents here, three accents here. Okay? This meter in Lamentations is imbalanced. It's one, two, three, one, two. It's a limp. It's a limp. The faith of Lamentations is a deep, deep faith. But it is a limping faith. And that's called for. It's called for in this broken world. 
whenever I go to Ikea and can I get an amen, I always hate how they make you walk through the entire store. All you want is this cool, like, Huga laundry camper. You don't know what Huga is, I'll tell you later. And instead you have to walk like half a mile through the entire store to get it. Well, that's actually the faith of Lamentations in a way. You have to walk through the whole gamut of reality and of honesty. The A to Z of it in order to get to the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him. To the, the Lord is good. To the, the Lord will not cast off forever. To the, he does not willingly afflict, afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. To the, great is thy faithfulness. They're both there, but you have to walk through the suffering to get to it. Hope and honesty is deep confession of faith. Hope without honesty is shallow. It's a false hope. Honesty without hope brings us despair. Both is a deep confession of faith. It's honest about sin and the brokenness of sin. Not only our own sin, but how we've been sinned against. It's honest about how every broken thing that we're afraid to confront on our knees feed or on our text messages is because fundamentally this world is broken by sin. And we're honest about that. And we lament it. And Lamentations gives us permission. But it's ultimately buttressed by hope. He will restore. They're both there. And if this was true for Israel in 587 B.C., how much more true is it for us? If this was true for Israel at the rubble, at the ground zero of the temple, how much more is it true for us who has seen the true temple in flesh? I mean, chapter 3, verse 1 says, I am the man who has seen affliction. I am the man who has seen affliction. Jesus is the man who has seen affliction. In 3.2, it says, I am the man who is driven into darkness. Friends, Jesus is the man who has seen affliction for our sins and experienced unfathomable darkness on the cross. Jesus, friends, is the true man of sorrows who just to quote chapter 3 whose soul was bowed down who in Gethsemane blood tears who howled lament who would have been quite comfortable with the book of Lamentations who received cruel judgment from the callous war machine of the empire who breathed his last and for real sins not imaginary but definitely not his, yours and mine. And yet through it all, Jesus, man of sorrows, Jesus, lamentations and flesh, entrusted himself to God's loving faithfulness. 
So Chris Wright says, quote, In Lamentations, we hear a voice like his, speaking as he might have done from the cross, plumbing the depths of suffering, but trusting in the faithfulness of God. We, friends, can confess deeply both our sin and our faith in his goodness because of Jesus. The enfleshed temple torn down, exiled, not for his sin, but ours. And he was raised on the third day. Jesus gives you needed permission to grieve. But he gives you deep confession. He will make all things new. So Lord, we pray that you would, by lamentations, deepen our confession of sin, but also our confession of faith in you. And thank you through it for the permission to grieve, to be sad. Thank you, Lord, that through your word, we know that you are familiar with tears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.